everyone, my name is Bata Vichak and this is Fashion Knowledge, a podcast educating, disrupting and shaping fashion futures. Fashion Knowledge is brought to you by Unfolding Strategies, a consultancy and education lab for digital, inclusive and sustainable fashion in Web3. Hi, welcome everyone. Today I have a pleasure to talk to Elizabeth Bigger, a fashion and technology practitioner focusing on climate impact, arts, and pioneering technologies. She's a co-founder and co-director of Dataville Studio, which has developed CAD fashion analytic systems, 3D body databases, and wearable computing projects, just to name a few. To me, Elizabeth is one of those people who have been working with technology and fashion for a very long time and has a very valuable overview and experience of how it has been changing and developing. We met during Elizabeth's online workshop about clean NFTs and local fashion production. At the time, I was really searching for people working at the intersection of blockchain, sustainability, and fashion, and I was beyond excited to discover her work. And I think it's really urgent to talk about tech and climate in fashion simultaneously. And Elizabeth, as you are an expert in bridging the two in your practice, I'm very happy we have this opportunity. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for such a lovely introduction. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for making such a great work that it's so easy you know, to do it. <laughs> so um, maybe let's start with talking about what is actually that you do and what does it mean to be a you know computational fashion designer? Because you have over a decade of investigating and implementing advanced computa- computational tools in digital fashion design, fabrication production. So I can imagine that all those conversations we have today about tech and innovation fashion that's been accelerated in the last two years are not new to you. So yeah, what what is it like today to be a computational fashion designer? Well, I think it's pretty pretty invigorating these days, I must say. Um, It's been, yeah, you're you're correct. It's been a, a long time. And there's been such a small group of us. Um, and then now it's really expanding, which is really exciting. Um, uh, for me, um, being a computational uh, fashion designer or practitioner means I use computation in, in two ways. I use um, computer skills both in the design um, of the pattern layouts and as, as well as the um details and, and uh, physical attributes of the piece, but then I also might use computational elements within the actual garment um, as far as hardware and electronics. Um, I, I've slowed quite a bit on, on wearable pieces um, as far as wearable technology, but it was kind of integral in how I began my practice and how um, I, I, I now um, integrate bespoke um, pr- uh, practices within my, um, within my pieces and my workflows. Um, I, I began as a trained tailor. And um, uh, when I was 19, I was an apprentice for several years. And, um, and, and since then, so I have a very traditional um, construction and, and tailoring background. Um, and, and moving through that, um, I guess when I was in, in university, the, the computer programs we had were uh, Photoshop and Vectorworks. And, um, and then <laughs> around, um, 20, uh, to, well, 2007 or so, I started doing wearables, um, for a costume for special effects pieces. And, and this was, this is enjoyable, but then also, um, 
we went kind of beyond that and started really using elements um, beyond just, you know, putting LEDs and, and shoving <laughs> shoving electronics into, into clothing, but um, programming. So all of our pieces had mobile apps that you could take pictures and make different textiles um, and, and become customized in some way. Um, and that those workflows really started to create um, this very interesting kind of pattern for our clients that we worked with. So over about eight years, we would um, go from from body scan all the way through 3D rendering um, from about 20, 2012 to, I don't know, about 2019. And, um, and then all the way to, to final, final garment, whether it included electronics or not, some, um, some were just, you know, let's say wedding dresses or, or something like this. But did, and, you do, and, did you do wedding dresses? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really? That's, that's, that's funny. So can you give an example? What was a project like that? Just to imagine it? Yeah. Um, I mean, if you you want to go with the wedding dress, um, you start yeah, by just curious. body scanning um, the person. And um, and then you begin um, sketching out different iterations digitally. And I use um, Rhino 3D. Um, it's mm-hmm. a CAD software program developed by uh, Robert McNeil and Associates, and um, and so I use um, patterns and uh, I use parametric patterns that have I've also created computationally in, in Grasshopper, and um, using it's a visual scripting language um, program. So uh, then you you apply start applying these designs onto the three D body and. Um, I, I I particularly liked using body scanning because it was as bespoke as you could get. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. now I think you can you can get made up characters and you can buy three D models. Um, you know, ten years ago that was not possible, and um, mm-hmm. so we we did quite a bit of po- of, of body scanning and post processing work to have our own um, figures and then also be able to animate them and things like this. Um, so yeah, then you do several designs and I'd, I'd do about six months worth of design iterations with the client um, and then go go straight into fabric. Um, sometimes I would, you know, I kind of, sometimes it would be a juxtaposition of, of old uh, tools and techniques versus new tools and techniques. And it was always kind of a learning curve combining um, traditional tailoring skills with, with what works computationally and also what you're comfortable with, what you begin um, understanding sometimes you don't need a Muslim, uh, a muslin, sorry, um, mock-up. Uh, and sometimes, um, you know, you might feel more comfortable doing, um, a bit of a mock-up before you go into final fabric, depending on your, your choices and stuff. Hmm, cool. I asked about the wedding dress because I was, uh, looking today at one fashion NFT and it is like a sort of, it's a collaboration between artists and, uh, founder. Uh, and I think Puma, so it's like a you know sportswear brand, and it's like an upcycled wedding dress. And I was thinking that this is like always an interesting clash of wedding dress having this like cultural symbolic and this kind of being something quite traditional, but then bringing it into and making it into NFT. And I was like thinking, you know, why uh, why the why the why the why the wedding dress? So it's funny that you also brought up a wedding dress. But maybe we can we can jump into NFTs. So kind of, you know, acknowledging your kind of your, your history and I'm, and I'm happy that we also heard, you know, about the process, how it works. Um, today, I think when people think in context of fashion about NFTs, they usually they think of brands. So it's either a 
digital native or digital only brand like Fabric Under Mutiny doing an NFT or I don't know, a bigger brand like Gucci or, or, or Nike. Um, and I'm curious, how do you define what NFTs are and uh, kind of how do you, you know, how do you use them in context of your work in fashion? Um, good question. Um, I, I mean, I, Thank you. I, I, <laughs> I, I definitely use them as, as part of kind of, um, pieces of, of the workflow and kind of, um, decentralizing this, this kind of workflow of the fashion, um, the fashion, I, I guess, output. Um, so in that sense, I don't want, I, I don't necessarily follow the traditional, um, make a really beautiful editorial picture and sell it as, an, as a, as a JPEG or ping or, um, an, an, F, an NFT in that regard. Um, but I, I like to use them as kind of changing or disrupting kind of that system. And so the, the pieces we've done, if you're, if you're able to buy the, we did a one in March, 2021, that was our first experiment. And, um, and this one was early days. So it was just how to do systems of, um, not just fashion, but then how do we get the pattern pieces, the, the construction pieces, um, to, to the person to buy it in order for them to be able to make it somewhere locally on their own. So they would have something physical if they wanted it at the same time, they would also have the, the GLB, the 3d interactive file, um, and so that was really interesting. And then we went ahead and really wanted to do collaborative. And so that's what we've been working in now. And so when you, you when you get a piece, um, the royalties are split between perhaps the textile designer, um, the the pattern designer, which would be myself, um, and, and different open software systems that we use, maybe 3JS, um, things like this so that we can extend kind of um, the people and the hands that are actually responsible for making um, making the piece of fashion um, to be able to get royalties from it continuously. Hmm. Cool. So they kind of, they have a different kind of function that is more in that sense, the focus is less on the aesthetics and being a piece of a kind of, of potentially collectible or wearable digital clothing it's more about kind of what they can do what they can transmit what they can share and also kind of how they split royalties and kind of co-create value for all the people involved yeah i think i mean you can you can say like oh the the blockchain is great for transparency but it depends on what you want it to show um Hmm. you know anything i guess you could claim would be transparent but i i would like to see um the hands actually get paid that are responsible for making fashion Mm. so what does that actually look like and um is it possible that it could be that there is something you know kind of a decentralized fashion system out there that can go from like global design to local production um in in a reasonable way um so that's what uh I mean, that's some of the things that we, we've been experimenting with. We went ahead and, and published a paper on it um, at, a, at an apparel and textile conference in Paris. And then we went ahead and published that. We, we minted that as an NFT um, and also, once again, did the, the royalties um, where we split. So some of our references um, were able to get royalties from um, the paper as well. Yeah, that's, that's to me that's very exciting. I mean, to think that if we think about fashion system, also kind of being a big part of it, being fashion research, then 
you know, the the paper, uh, which is minted as an NFT, which is about fashion, also becomes a part of like fashion NFTs kind of uh, ecosystem. So maybe it's a bit of a stretch, but I, I find it quite interesting that we start thinking about fashion NFTs, not only in this kind of now a bit mainstream way of thinking about it. Yeah, and, uh, and, and sharing knowledge about that. You know, like yeah. we, I, I've written so many papers that are behind really expensive paywalls, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. especially in computational garments. And so, <laughs> yeah. um, so, so this is not, and, um, you know, anyone could pick it up for 0.5 ties. It's not, it's not expensive or, or see it on the IPFS. So this is, that's also, I think, important to, um, to kind of for a future goal of, of decentralized fashion and really spreading word and knowledge is making making the research available. Mm, yeah, that's true. But speaking of spreading knowledge, I'm very often times asked if digital fashion is sustainable. So I thought this is maybe something we can talk a little bit about, you know, what are, you know, how do you, you use the term clean NFTs? You know, to me, if there are clean NFTs, that immediately implies there might be also dirty ones. So what is the difference between clean and dirty? And why do we say that? Also, you, you've been doing some amazing research and you've been asking great questions about digital fashion uh, production lifecycle. Uh, so yeah, maybe if we could uh, talk a little about that, that would be amazing. Yeah, um, well, I think well, clean NFTs are kind of this phrase began um, in early February, March, I think actually as, as early as December. Um, two artists, um, Memo Atkin and, and Joanne Le Marseille, uh, have written extensively and, and started up with um, calculations and things like this um, to kind of bring awareness to, to the NFT art community about um, the environmental footprints of, of NFTs and what mm -hmm. that entails, kind of their carbon costs. And that's kind of taken off since since then. Now it's been past a year of this, so it's it's caught on. Many other researchers have have been involved, and and I'm not sure, you know, if if clean NFT is the best phrasing um, or not. Um, it dramatically, there's a dramatic difference, of course, in the in the environmental footprint of of anything that is minted on a proof of stake chain versus a proof of work chain. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that um, it, almost everything humans do is dirty. <laughs> so, so how do you really delineate between the two? Um, uh, is it fair to say dirty NFTs or clean F NFTs? Um, I, I'm not entirely sure that, you know, a, a semantic, um, discussion, but it, for sure you, we should, there, there's no real room or time to not, um, be knowledgeable about sustainability and about your actions using technology in the future of fashion. It's just unacceptable these days. And whether you're in academia or you're a practitioner or you're a giant brand, um, there there has to be a wheel turning um, somewhere for you to be improving your footprint. So in that regard, is clean the right word? I don't know, but um, if you're if you're working. You know, if you're working in the space, you should be knowledgeable about what that, you know, that what that is, just as just as if you're built, if you're actively, you know, creating collections out of 100% polyester mm. versus wool, you know, uh, the, you know, they're, they're two huge different footprints between the two. Mm. So, mm. um, so that's really important, I think, to to kind of do understand um, how that the sustainability, how that works, um, mm. 
how the proof of stake, all these pieces. And it's really complicated. Um, I mean, it can be really complicated. There's several great resources to really explain all the different footprints, but it's very much like finding out the life cycle of a, of a piece of clothing, a pair of jeans. There's ver- there's metal pieces, there's textile pieces, there's um, labor and construction. So there's, there's all these different footprints that we, you know, we create when we, when we make garments. Um, and that's the same for digital. Um, and then if you make fidgetal, it, it's, it's dual. So, um, all those needed to be need to be added up in some way so that we can be kind of have accountability, but also um, be able to understand where we can take action. Um, and if we can take action, what does that look like? Um, and be cautious about that, because it could have a, a rebound effect that's that's worse. You know, right now, the the music industry has a, a worse footprint because it's gone digital. <laughs> than it did with physical vinyl cassette cassette tapes and uh cds so those are that's a really interesting other industry example to take from and in fashion we don't want to have a rebound effect already we have a wicked problem we have to move forward to solving it so what kind of what kind of tools can we actually use to actually help solving it and not create a larger footprint so what kind of what kind of tools and what kind of methods to do you propose to uh, to solve it? And I'm kind of pointing out in the direction of generative fashion, like maybe we can talk about this. Is this is like a way to go? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm working on analysis systems in the last uh, three to five years. I've been building um, generative uh, garment systems. And it's really for analysis. Um, generative design, of course, can be can be used for um, aesthetics. Um, Can I, you explain, uh, like, just briefly what it is? Because uh, you know, it's it's common. It's a it's a common thing to discuss among architects or I don't know industrial product designers. But somehow, very often with you know, fashion people or people interested in fashion, it's not you know not the most common thing. Well, there's several different types of general de- generative design. But I, I use. Let's, let's go for a general umbrella or the one you know <laughs> closest to your practice. Um, what I, I use evolutionary ar- algorithms. So um, they kind of uh, observe. Um, so they they take your goal, um, what you're trying to answer for, and kind of compare and contrast different results to cre- to create a bunch of results. Um, and nature does this evolutionary. This is this is how biology works, and how um, evolution has created different types of birds, for example. So, in, in using generative design to to try to address sustainability, um, your fitness function of your algorithm um, needs to be a specific goal to kind of help that, and then allow you to look at different goals at the same time. So you could look at the amount of textile, the amount of textile waste. Um, you could estimate effluence um, loss during the user care cycle of the garment, um, estimate estimated wear times or durability of the construction of the garment. Um, you could uh, estimate microfiber release. Um, and you can plug these different um, data points into the your fitness function and then have have the evolutionary algorithm give you different design results and and some of them are of course um you know completely something that humans would never consider wearing and out to lunch you know but um and that's kind of the magic of playing with um generative design at the moment because you still really uh, there's this human machine situation where we really need to collaborate together 
and and humans really have a part not only in that you're you're making the machine you're you're teaching the machine and then also the machine is teaching you what what it what it is um calculating but then also what is acceptable actually in reality and i think this is very similar to nfts but in this way um you can you can process and see in real time and use um, multi-objective uh, optimization to really optimize for sustainability goals. Um, so you're you're not you're you're not designing or producing something that has a higher footprint than you want, and you're seeing that footprint prior to um, production. Um, design the design area is where all the decisions are made so you can really control your footprint in the design um, in, in the first in the first stage of a garment and that could that can also be for for digital so it's how how do you say and how do you input that we're putting things online that now have lifetime digital footprints right all nfts i mean are you've pin, we've pinned them to the blockchain um, what does that mean to have a lifetime footprint? Um, what does it mean for a proof of work chain? What does it mean for a proof of stake chain? Um, is that a, a is that a higher footprint than a physical piece of clothing that's maybe made out of polyester and is on the planet for you know four thousand years without biodegrading? <laughs> so those questions, I mean, are, you know, need to be answered yet. But using different pieces of data and and getting you know, early data from NFTs, we can start kind of looking at these um, different um, different points and say, um, you know, well, here's the difference between a, an NFT and in this, or also the difference between an NFT that changes hands several times versus one time, and and perhaps compare that to secondary markets of fashion or rental markets. So these are all different um, systems that are really trying to work for sustainability. And, and how do we compare and contrast them using algorithms to, to kind of help us with the calculations? Mm. And so when, when we think about those things, is this something that's being now, you know, actively done by, I don't know, by you and people you work with? Can we already see, I don't know, examples that would be, you know, feasible for industry? Let's say that I have a medium-sized brand. How can I, and I'm trying to do digital, so how can how can I actually you know, start thinking about uh, generative fashion? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure yet. <laughs> we're making some public tools, but we're not quite there yet. So, <laughs> I mean, I think it's also pretty complex. Um, I, I feel it's taken so long um, to, for, for fashion to kind of understand computational tools in the first place, and we still have a long way to go. Um, academia still has a long way to go. And, um, and so, and, and there are some more, you know, experiments happening in other places, but, um, I don't know if, if it will, uh, how fast it will come. I think we're putting stuff out this summer. Um, and, and so we'll see, I guess, in the future. When, I, I, when, what does it mean that you're putting stuff, stuff out this summer? <laughs> so is this like an event or is it like, I don't know, some yeah, project exhibition? What, what is it? It's a it's an exhibition and event, um, but we hope to have these tools I exist so that people can use them. Whether you're a small medium or or um, independent artist, because I think that's the important point is 
is to have publicly, you know, kind of like the research, have it publicly available, have it open source, low code, no code, um, and have really nice usability, which something like that, that's going to take, you know, a lot longer to, um, you know, yeah. put out publicly, yeah. but yeah, we're but, getting there. Yeah. But yeah, that's exciting. So where, where is the event? It will be online event in summer or what's, the, um, we'll see. You'll see. Okay. Okay. Everybody say, say you know, <laughs> keep an eye on it. It We're working very hard. Come, we'll see. <laughs> coming soon somewhere close to you online. Okay. Uh, or not. Okay. So one one thing, one other thing I would like us to talk about, and you also kind of mentioned before that, you know, when we think about fidgetals, it gets even more complex because then we are thinking about, you know, about digital footprints. We think about actual products. So I was, when, I, when I'm usually defining fidgetal, and when people ask me what it is, I usually say these are products and experiences that are, you know, blended. These are digital and physical at the same time. That, for example, I have a bag and I go to lunch with this bag to meet my friends, but I also have like a kind of, you know, it's its version in the virtual version. So this kind of be, this is like, I think the most simplistic way to describe it, but it's also very product focused. Um, in your research, in your article, you kind of refer to digitals more even as processes and methodologies. So I'm also kind of similarly as with NFTs, like how do you how do you see that and what are like digitals in your work? What does that mean? Well, I think there's like so many points along the, the workflows that I use that um, that blend those realities. Um, I mean, you see it every time I scan someone and they all of a sudden see their body in the, for the first time in 3D. <laughs> And, um, and they're, they're, they begin to kind of understand what it means to be in a digital realm and a physical realm. And, and that's very much a fidgetal process. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I think, so that's, so there's these, there's several different points along that. And then also using systems where, um, these, these or physical and digital, um, methods blend kind of, um, also brings this very non-transparent um, linear supply chain system that we've we've used for like 200 years um, into a different uh, a different realm, um, and we can begin using and transacting digitally instead of um, you know obscurely, um, mostly in you know another country um, as Westerners. So um, so in that. In that regard, I, I like to think of the whole process, several parts of this process as both. And it's it's really, it's about human-machine collaboration. Hmm. And um, these, you know, digital pieces and physical pieces kind of merging together um, in, in whatever this kind of, um, these these this digital universe that we want to create, that we want to craft, what does that look like? Um, and can we create something positive? Um in merging these different techniques together, um, and can we do it sustainably? Because one uh, one always feeds off the other. You know, we can't have the digital realm without the physical, um, and a little bit vice versa. Um, so, how how can we do that? And how how is the best way to make these points of human machine collaboration kind of come together to create a really nice, um, you know, digital workflows in these kind of seamless things that include sustainability, that include positive outcomes for, for both humans and, uh, and, and, you know, entities in the, in the metaverse. Yeah. Amazing. I, I really agree. I can see many disciplines kind of, you know, 
jumping on that and creating like music industry you have a lot of amazing human ai collaborative projects and i'm always you know looking forward to see more of that in fashion so i'm really eager to to see that uh, and you kind of almost anticipated my last questions which was what type of projects and initiative uh, fashion needs right now so i think you kind of um, answered that but yeah i'm just curious to hear what do you hope to see more of in the future in the nearest future apart from your event in summer um, in the near future, I really want to see actually, uh, I want to see more slowing down fashion. Mm -hmm. And and I think that in, in that regard, um, I don't necessarily mean um, in, in the digital realm, I mean, I want to actually see digital craftsmanship. And I as a trained tailor and as years of building um, as everything from clothes for celebrities to opera singers to <laughs> to to wearable projects and everything like this um it, there i i i feel that there is a lot more that we can do in the digital realm and um and uh, and we're not using the tools that we have already available um to their to their uh, maximum capacity so i really want to actually see um a lot more from this terminology uh, of what's being crafted as digital craftsmanship um and what that means, you know, right now I see a lot of things that are um, that are that don't necessarily move fashion past um, a, a JPEG or just a photo. And um, and I and we have the tools and the means to do that. We also have the tools and the means to be very technical, to include our tech packs, to include details. Um well, so I'd really, I'd like to see um, the slowing down of, of the minting process of the NFTs for um, a little bit more depth in fashion, um, a little bit more depth of, of craftsmanship. And, um, and hopefully, I also would love to see the personalization and bespoke movement really take on. Um, because whether we're, we're making broad pieces, um, or, or bespoke pieces, there, there so many different things need to be considered um, in regards to sustainability. And so I, I really need to see more from the design part of fashion, whether it's digital or physical. <laughs> Great. Thank you. I'm looking forward to slowing down and more actual digital craftsmanship too. And yeah, the, the kind of bespoke element, I think is also important. Thank you so much for talking to me today, uh, Elizabeth, and I'm looking forward to yeah seeing what's going to happen in summer. Yeah, we'll see. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Thank you, Veda. <Beta. laughs>